Hello, welcome to the Ministry of Change. I hope you're doing all right. I am doing all right. I'm doing really well, actually. Um, I've got this amazing opportunity at the moment to spend some time living in the mountains in the French Alps. And it's been a really good chance for me to just stop and not really worry too much about what I'm doing, but really just ground myself here. The surroundings are just amazing. They're so awe-inspiring. There's beautiful walks, snow, nature, mountains. I couldn't really ask for more. But what's been so valuable is that opportunity just to stop and reflect. And I realised that before I started this journey with Ministry of Change, the predominant feeling in my life was always one of not being enough. Always one of feeling like I needed to achieve more, that I wasn't reaching my potential. And I think I'd just had this basic understanding of that to really get where you want to be, you always have to have more qualifications or you need to do something outstanding, something to excel, something to put yourself above the competition. But what I was really missing was the essence that none of that is important. None of that is real. I was already enough. I just couldn't see it because I hadn't had the opportunity or created the opportunity to just stop and listen and to really get to know myself. I I, I was full of self-loathing and the idea of loving yourself just seemed narcissistic or it seemed something that wasn't possible to me. But I know very well now that I am enough. And if I really think about it, it's something I've always known. But it can be hard to feel like you're enough. It can be hard to feel like you're enough when society seems to tell you that you are not. It's hard to feel like you're enough when the world tells you that what you have is not enough. It's hard to feel enough When you are constantly told that you need more, that your phone is too old, that your house is too small, it's hard to feel like you're enough. When you are repeatedly told that the hole that you feel deep inside comes from a lack of possessions, a lack of success, a lack of wealth. It's hard to feel like you're enough when the line between what is a need and what is a should is so frustratingly blurred. It's hard to feel like you're enough when the value that you know you have is unable to translate into the economic system that surrounds you, it's hard to feel enough when the things that really matter cannot be tagged with a little blue thumbs up or a yellow smiling face, but instead rely on a deep cultivated sense of self-worth that is fostered within and by the love that surrounds you. It's hard to feel enough when the people around you don't think that they're enough. It's hard to feel enough when the news tells you that you will probably have your job taken away by an immigrant or a robot. It's hard to feel enough when society tells you that you should count yourself lucky for even having that job. It's hard to feel enough when you live in a society that champions a belief in scarcity and closes its eyes and mind to a belief in abundance. It's hard to feel enough when you live in a world that is so disconnected from real and raw emotion. 
It's hard to feel enough in a society where to display vulnerability is seen as a sign of weakness rather than the strength that it is. It's hard to feel enough when you have become an insignificant number in a small square on a career politician's spreadsheet. It's hard to feel enough when insincere megalomaniacs and resource-sapping giants are rewarded and the people that sweat away on the front line fall through the cracks penniless and disillusioned. It's hard to feel enough when every day the world around you tells you that you are not enough. But you are enough. Yes, you. The world has made it hard for you to see that. But if you stop for a minute and listen, you will feel deep inside the knowing that you are. That might not help right now, but it is that knowing that will eventually help you navigate this wilderness. Stripped of your position, your job title, your role, your name, the clothes you wear, the possessions you own, the things that you do. Separated from the mad fantasy that has somehow fashioned itself as an object reality, you are enough. As we climb down our career ladders and invest in our connection with something more than our fear of being talked about over lukewarm cappuccinos, it will become easier to see our enoughness. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to compete and seek growth. You don't need to believe anymore that human nature is built on conflict and greed. Once you can accept that each and every one of us is born enough, then you can stop the destructive cycle of seeking approval. When you can stare into the eyes of your neighbours, your friends and your perceived enemies and know that we are all enough, the world will be enough. We will no longer need to invest money in escape plans to Mars. We will no longer need to build walls made from fear. We will no longer need to stockpile food in our underground bunkers. We will no longer have to isolate ourselves off from the people that can help us. We will no longer need to stay late at the office to earn our promotions. We will no longer need to wait until someone grants us permission to live. When we realise that we are all enough as we are, then we can begin to heal. We can begin to let our natural abilities flow. When we no longer need to compare or compete, the real growth can begin. I know it can be hard to see it, but you are enough. Mental health can be a difficult topic to talk about. I'd like to change that. I'm Marcus Pipworth and welcome to the Ministry of Change podcast. Hello. That was a weird way to start the podcast, wasn't it? I hear you say. Well, I just really wanted to share that poem with you. I wrote it ages, well not ages ago, sometime last year as a past a message to my past self um remembering all those times where i felt like i wasn't enough but then actually i realized that it was not just a message to my past self because those feelings of not being enough are always creeping back into my life i just feel like now i'm in a better place where i can move through it quicker and ground myself in the idea that i am so anyway i hope you got something out of it liked it um i know it's a maybe it's a bit self-indulgent but um who cares? I just wanted to mix it up and start the podcast in a different way. And um, yeah, I'm glad I did. I'll see how it goes down. And uh, if everyone hates it so much, we'll revert back to the other thing. Anyway, I'm very excited to bring this conversation uh, to you today with Annalee Roberts. Um, 
Annalie got in contact with me a while ago because she'd been thinking about starting... She has a podcast already. She's very well established in the sort of mental health advocacy scene. But she's wanting to maybe start get a van and drive around and do a podcast. So someone put her in contact with me because they knew I did this. So um, it's really exciting. Um, so I went and spent a few days with her in Cardiff. I'd never been to Cardiff before, so that was great. And it was really nice to sort of spend some time with her. And it's actually, it was sort of going into this world, which I knew very little about, because obviously I talk about mental health a lot. But what I do is very much focused face to face. And I sort of don't like, um, not don't like it, I sort of have this anxiety around social media and um quite a complex relationship with it i think in an ideal world i just wouldn't use social media at all in an ideal world i'd just live in a hut by myself but um but um i see it as a very important tool for me to be able to share stuff but actually like i don't use it that much but around this sort of time i did the interview with bipolar barbie which is a few uh, episodes ago and then i had this opportunity to meet um annalee who runs the podcast and project called piglitish and she does a lot of her work uh, on twitter that's her main platform um i think she'd say that's her main platform and she spends a lot of time sort of tweeting about mental health and connecting with people all around the world and she has thousands and thousands and thousands of followers and i think around that time like bipolar barbie was in contact with me and she had eighty thousand um instagram followers and then Piglitish Annalie had thousands and thousands of Twitter followers and I looked at my own and I thought I only have like a few hundred on on both those platforms um maybe I'm doing something wrong and it, it really sort of away at me for a bit but actually it was really nice to speak to those two people and meet them and spend some time especially with Annalie and see that actually that's not my thing I don't I I, I don't thrive on social media but I see how it's such a useful platform and I think it's really amazing that people like Annalie are there and using the platform that they have with so many followers to spread the messages about mental health and share stories and sort of really be able to connect to people uh, on this large scale, which I'm, I'm not. And I realised through meeting these people that I don't need to because these people are doing those things i can do my thing and just be really happy that those people people like Annalie, are there doing their thing and so yeah it's really good i hope you like get a chance to listen to her podcast and uh follow her twitter account i'll put links down um below and everything like that but yeah i'm really excited to bring you this and um yeah i've already like bored you with a massive long poem and a load of blurbs so yeah well god it's so time has i've taken up so much time with my own voice i don't usually take up that much time so why don't i just stop um but before i stop i am going to ask if you could take some time to go to itunes and rate and review the podcast and if you can go to my patreon page and we get extra content there but that is the way that i try and support this so if there's anything you can offer me in way of financial support patreon is there but if you can't that's totally cool and just try and uh if you can don't try don't try you're enough already if you can um just share this if you like it share some of my other blog posts and content that really helps me as well but the main thing is that you're here listening 
to me and Annalie have this conversation right now. I'll be back at the end. Goodbye. I'm Annalie. I blog and podcast about mental health and do the occasional YouTube video. Um, I also put a lot of energy into tweeting about mental health because I think like just little bite-sized snippets and updates. So most of what people would hear from me is on Twitter. What, what sort of things do people hear from you? My main focus is probably letting other people know that they're not alone in the way they're feeling if they're struggling with anxiety in particular because that's what I suffer with. I've been fortunate enough to never have depression which is weird because everyone always marries them together and assumes you've got both um and my recovery from post-traumatic stress disorder following an abusive relationship is kind of that was kind of the driving force initially but now it's a lot more about including people in the conversation encouraging people to talk although you know sometimes I'm just tweeting about like my dog or whatever like and why do you think it's important that you do what you do I think had I been listening to some of the content I create or reading some of the content I create when I was younger, I think I would have faced up to my feelings a lot quicker than what I have ended up doing, which is repressing it until I had no choice but to focus on my mental health. And I'm hoping that I can make some sort of difference for someone somewhere that they can hear me talking to a guest they relate to or they relate to me in some part of my journey. Um, And just realise that actually, although you think, because nobody talks about it, although you think nobody feels like me that I'm the only person going through this nobody understands me that actually there's a hell of a lot of people out there who are like willing to listen and ready to hear what you've got to say and also I think it's really important that people understand that it's like lots of bad things can happen to you but you can channel it into doing something good and to making the world slightly better even if it's only for a couple of people and I think that's really important as well so yeah why do you think it's so hard for people to realize that that that's an option it's fucking shit <laughs> like, and actually, you feel it, like that actually is it is it an option for everyone i can only speculate on that i've only lived life from my perspective and it was possible for me mm-hmm. and i certainly wouldn't have thought it was possible for me previously so based on that i'd say yes i've met a lot of other people that can do it but can everyone do it maybe not but it's not something I can understand. It, like, I think you can certainly work on improving your situation. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer. Like, my, my sort of assumption is that, yes, I guess it really depends on, like, sort of what your what situation you're coming from and what, what the sort of environment around you is like. And I, I guess there's so many different hurdles for people to come. Like, yeah, like we talked about, like, mental health is such a... I don't, I don't even know what, what, what... Like, what do you think... What does the term mental health mean to you? Mental health, to me, uh, is just a part of health. Um, And I talk about it in that sense. So I talk about it like I'm pro-mental health. Um, I I encourage people to maintain and improve their mental health. Now, I would like the world to be in a state where you only need to talk about health. But in the same way, we've touched on some things like like feminism or something like that. You know, like, until, until they're treated as equal then we can't treat them under one big umbrella. We can't just say, I'm a health campaigner, because, like, what the fuck does that even mean anyway? Yeah. Um, so for me, it's just a way of kind of lumping together all the um, illnesses and conditions and syndromes and everything that's 
going on that stems from our thoughts, feelings, and I guess chemical imbalances in our brain. I don't know where they all come from, obviously. Uh, I do actually talk to a lot of people that have other chronic illnesses and disabilities as well. I think anything that people struggle to understand, I think anything that like I'm willing to lend my ears and my platform to that too. But yeah. mostly I talk about anxiety and PTSD because that's my experience. But my guests luckily have brought a massive range of different topics that they can cover. Yeah. Um, I hate I hate when people speak on the behalf of people whose experience they've not lived. I, it's one of my biggest pet peeves. You see people speaking up all the time about issues that they think will affect other people. Like they, you know, like look at the ratio of like white men in in like politics, for example, and they speak on behalf of like the people in poverty when they've not lived it or something yeah. like that. And um, I find that's that's really frustrating for me, which is why I decided to have guests rather than just me sit and you know list off things I found on the NHS website or whatever. Yeah. No, I, I mean I I agree totally. And my, I mean this whole podcast project ministry of change came out of like it's my own experiences with depression and anxiety and I yeah. to explore that so that's tends to be there's a when I'm involved like I, it always tends to get to that that spin of depression and anxiety so that's what I, I like to talk to other people that have other things because I, yeah. I don't know I don't really have ex- I don't think I have like experience of, sort of things like PTSD that sort of things I guess like often I see mental health sort of marginalized as a, a separate thing to life but for me it's the world we exist in is it's all like this holistic thing and absolutely and really yeah. what like I'm interested in is just listening to people tell the story of how they're navigating their own life and it for me it's very important the idea that there is no normal there's nothing that we need to be so I think hearing those voices of other people is really important isn't it and yeah like who wants yeah. to hear someone talk about something that they don't know anything about from a position of authority no yeah that's ridiculous <laughs> but but we do we are forced to listen to that narrative yeah all the time like what you're doing is amazing as well I think we both come at it we we have different podcasts but similar kind of ethos all around a lot of it I think um or similar different journey no, similar journeys but different like routes yeah yeah and yeah, I think the thing with mental health is like communication and your relationships, your friendships, your environment, your physical health, your work life, all of that feeds into it. So there are things, there are certain people who will be negatively inf- affected by like their own minds where maybe there's circumstantial stuff they can change. It's just so complicated, like... <laughs> like it's just so complicated but definitely I would say that I do separate mental health and mental illness as I like we talk about one in four with people who have mental health problems and like I am 100% sure that that's underreported um because for a start I personally know people who are very aware of depression and anxiety and they know they've got it but they've never ever been to a doctor about it so so you would say it's higher than one in four that like anecdotally anyway you would suggest that I would suggest it's one in one honestly I can't yeah. I think to say that you've never had a mental health problem is as crazy as saying like that you've never had um a mental uh, a health problem like what so you're saying you've never had a health problem you've never had a cold like because it's, it's a spectrum and you can have 
very short periods of mental ill health, I think. Um, stress, like people don't talk about stress much. Stress is a, is a problem with mental health and it can just because it's to do with your job or to do with your home situation doesn't mean that you're not ill. Like just because you've bashed into the door doesn't mean you're not bruised. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's just weird. And to me, someone saying like, I don't, I've never been ill mentally is like ludicrous I can't get my head around it but I accept that some people it's um the roller coaster is kind of flat enough that it's not worth pursuing it like you don't go to the doctor when you've got a cold I accept that but everybody has the capacity to understand if you've like sadness and depression are not the same things but Surely if you have experienced grief or sadness, you can empathise with depression. Or if you've experienced nerves, you can empathise with anxiety or like minor. Or if you've experienced pressure at work, you can surely empathise with stress. And it, I find because the, we have such a range of emotions, I find it very difficult to understand how the stigma exists. And I think it just must exist from a place of people fearing their emotions rather than people not having the ability to understand there's very few people in the world who actually can't understand emotion and I know that is a pocket of people who aren't able to process it but it's got to be like I think one in 25 tops I think it's about four percent what do you think that fear is a lot of people think that it is judgment of others. I personally think that pe- we judge ourselves more, but the influence is from outside. So I think the world we've built with like marketing, everything is designed to undermine our self-confidence. Like if you look at something a lot more straightforward, like maybe the diet industry and you look at, you know, uh, appetite suppressant lollipops, something like that. That's you know, a thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I heard of that. So you've got, um, you know, people like the Kardashians, for example, getting paid millions of pounds to sell this idea to their audience that their audience don't look aesthetically pleasing enough. And I think there was an experiment in... Oh, God, now I'm going to be misquoting things on your podcast. Sorry, I, I feel <laughs> like it might be some... It might be Hawaii. I'm not sure. But, I mean, you'd be able to look it up very easily. There's certainly a place that didn't wasn't exposed to mainstream television and things that want... And in the 90s, um, they had only two or three reported cases of anorexia ever. Is that Cuba, I think? It might be Cuba. <laughs> I think. But, again, people can write in and tell us that we're wrong. <laughs> yeah. I think it's Cuba, though, because I think because of, like, communism and stuff, they... I feel like people can just Google it themselves and yeah. stop relying on us. <laughs> but also subscribe. Either Hawaii or Cuba. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be, is it? It's going to be the Philippines. I don't know where it is. Like, but um, And then since that, they've had... Since they've uh, been exposed to kind of like cable TV, is that even still what it's called? But, you know, mainstream media, they've got as the proportion of people with eating disorders is as high as it is in any other developed country and I think like if you think about that level of like how influencers influencers like celebrities and things like that's just diet which feeds into mental health mental health is basically our whole existence like there's so many things telling us we're not good enough like 
marketing in itself is what are they selling you? Like people who speak about marketing do teach you about marketing will say to you like, what what is marketing? We're selling you a solution. And to sell you a solution, they have to convince you you've got a problem. And I think that one of the biggest ways to sell to us is to convince us that we won't be happy without whatever they're selling us. And we're exposed to that from birth. And I just think that feeds so heavily into it. But not just buying things, also like yeah. the job, the career you need or the things you should be like talking. I've got a massive time. No, I here. think it's true. I think like it's interesting. <laughs> it's something that really fascinates me. Like we're essentially we're, we're fucked if like from the day we were born, we're told we're not good enough and we need to strive to do more. And society is sort of structured to create that. And and, yeah. and I, I, I mean, sometimes it amazes me that there's not more, um, more levels of depression and anxiety than there are, even though there are incredibly high levels. Well, I sometimes I, I do you feel like we've been talking a lot this these few days about how yeah. like happy, fulfilled we feel now compared to before. Not necessarily happy, but we're feeling like yeah. we're getting to a place of fulfillment. And yet, I think like. For me, certainly, I'm learning to measure my success by how I feel, not by what I have. And yeah, for sure. But how many times do people undermine what you're doing, or like, you know, say, "What do you make? Well, what do you make for a living? Or how do you make your money? Or what, what, how do you go? Like, how does this work? Or what's your job title? Like, why the fuck do you care what my job title is? I've just told you I'm happy. Like, get a, piss off. Yeah, I probably have talked about it on this podcast and bored people. But I can't remember which ones have been recorded and offline things. But I really think that's that's true. This whole project has been an exercise in reframing how I'm living my life in many, many aspects. And yeah, and I, there was a lot of those metrics which I used to follow, which I'm not ticking off. Yeah, I'm like quite broke. I like don't have a house. Like, like I climbed right down the career ladder in many ways. <laughs> but like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good with that and and I and we t- we talked in the car in the van yesterday about that sort of idea of like fulfillment and that happiness is is and, and I, I sort of alluded to that fact that I I feel overall if I look at my life now generally I feel happier but I guess it required this big shift in what I thought happiness was because I think I thought happiness was a destination to aim for and with that mentality sort of every day every moment I wasn't feeling happy felt like a failure excess for like what am I doing wrong but now like I I feel like it's more like if I take cast out a net over my whole life and look at that I feel mm. like yes I'm a, a load more content and fulfilled with what I'm doing but that doesn't mean to say that like some days I don't just wake up and think <sighs> what am I doing I can't yeah. be bothered so it's, it, it's like a a spectrum I guess when I said to my dad like I want to live in a van because obviously that's like a big part of what I I thought we'd just be talking about vans it turns out we've barely touched on vans we've both mostly been talking about other stuff but um when I said that to my dad and he said like you know I want what I want for you is security and I found that like so interesting because to him he's measuring that financially to me, I measure my security by, again, how I'm feeling. Like, if I feel safe as someone with anxiety disorder, then I feel secure. If I feel 
like my relationships and friendships are stable, then I feel secure. If I feel like my mental health is on an even keel or like, you know, progressing or somewhat predictable, then I feel secure. And it's just so interesting, like, that I've come so far in this journey, but because it's such a self-exploration, like, personal thing, you can't always take everyone with you on the same... Mm. It's weird how many internal conversations I've had with myself about this, that then when I'm confronted with a a statement like that, like, 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 we're so disconnected in how we measure security like that's so fascinating to me like that some words have become automatically associated with money how did you sort of start doing the the blogging and podcasting or why did you start doing it more to the point? Um, I had been a few months free from my uh, domestic violence or my abusive relationship. Domestic violence sounds like a weird thing to say, but yeah. So I'd been in an abusive relationship for just about three years and when that ended, it kind of, you'd think that that's the point where you recover, but actually you've, when you're in that kind of trauma, you're so tense and so on edge that it creates what's called um, complex PTSD, which is because it's a repeat trauma, something like um, domestic violence. It means that you have periods of safety and then danger and then safety and then danger. So no matter how safe you are, you're always waiting for the next danger. And it felt like I was stood, even though I was logically, I was free from the direct danger I felt like I was stood in the eye of the storm like right in the middle and anything could go wrong at any moment so I kind of decided to start like trying to write things down and make sense of this back and forth to the doctor and didn't have that much um didn't have it wasn't very easy to access support so I decided to start writing things down and at this point in my life, I made friends with a blogger who she blogs about lifestyle and beauty stuff, just completely unrelated blog. But um, her name's Billie Gina. I should probably not do this without plugging her somewhat. But yeah, okay. um, she said to me, like, that I feel like this is something that people should hear about and should know about. Like, you, you should be blogging this. And I just thought, God, I've always wanted to write. Why have I never done that? So why have I never thought I should be journaling this and so yeah I just started writing about um to begin with it was all very trivial things that make me anxious just because I had to dip my toe in before I jumped right in um my first ever post was about my fear of orcas um and then my second one I think is about stairs just the little things that make me scared every day so I just started writing about these little trivial things and then decided that I was going to the response was great better than I expected and then I decided I'm gonna do more of this it's clearly something people want to hear the amount of people you know in my at this point basically no one was reading it like just my very small like group of actual friends and things but the amount of colleagues and things that I made friends with because they also had anxiety and they kind of reached out to me who hadn't talked to other people about it, I just realised this is something people need to be talking about. So I just thought, right, I'm going to talk more and more about this. 
and then off it went. <laughs> and do you find it hard to write about some of the stuff you write about? No, I don't think so. I'm not sure anymore. I've written, I've probably written my most personal posts by now. Um, the one I wrote one about my mum's death when I was 19 and I wrote one about my abusive ex. I wrote an open letter to him, in fact, um, called Forgiveness. Like that was the one I was probably most scared of posting out of everything that I've done. Um, but because I've delved into those two topics and they're kind of big, like, big traumas. I think everything that I write now, while sometimes I might feel a bit silly, like, it's very, it's a bit easier to talk about the other stuff once you tackle, like, something as big as that. It was scary when I first admitted to the internet that I was having um, suicidal thoughts because I think there's this danger with mental health that we wait until we feel better and say, last week I had a really bad period. So the first time I said guys, I feel suicidal, was actually one of the most scary things I've... That was probably, yeah, that not that long ago, really. Um, and that was massive for me. That was really, yeah. So, yes, I am scared sometimes. And what, what was the response to something like that? I think I had, like, 600 people be like, so show me some sort of support whether that just be like sending a heart or a message privately I had people um ringing me who I've connected to over the internet and stuff and it's so weird that it's easier for me now to open up to the online friends that I've made like um not even when I'm face to face with them than it would be to open up to some of the people that have been in my social circle for years um yeah nothing but support not one single troll on that and like that's always really heartwarming and but but at the same time I do always feel a little bit racked with guilt around that because I see other people reaching for help and you know like 600 is a lot I was never going to get back to all those people and I'm so fucking grateful that I had that response like that in itself was enough to lift me or if I hadn't managed to lift myself out of it it would have been enough to lift me to see that volume of people but that is a privilege that's come with having a growing following not everybody gets that so that makes me sometimes feel guilty and it's complex and you feel conflicted about it and some people obviously will be reaching out and not getting any responses like that but it's not because people don't care it's most likely because people haven't seen it so but I guess like it's the, the amount of responses you get for, for, for me it may be, I, I can't say what's important for you but the amount of responses for me seems like less important than the actual act of using your that what you said as a privileged position of having people in a position to reach people and actually being able to speak with that authenticity and say look this is how I'm feeling I'm feeling suicidal and that alone I think to me seems like the powerful bit that's the thing which I think is it's the important part in opening up the conversation and being like this is something we can talk about should talk about are allowed to talk about yeah it's it's easy to feel when you're a what 
like, what the hell is a mental health advocate? It's a term that we've coined to try and put some sort of title on what we're doing or that yeah. some people have coined for us and we've accepted or whatever it is. Like, it doesn't look like anything. There's no, we're the people now, I feel, like, trudging through the snow, making the first footsteps in that, like, collectively, a lot of us. There, there have been people, but fairly recently, that have come before us and stuff. And Like, what is that? So it's easy for me to talk myself out of, you know, how can I be a mental health advocate and yet be sharing, spreading negativity, saying I feel suicidal. Is that not hypocritical? If I feel suicidal, am I not being a hypocrite? If I feel suicidal, but I've not run the Samaritans, am I not being a hypocrite? But then I thought, well, no, because I'm not trying to save people in that sense I'm trying to show people that they're not alone and that it's okay to admit to whoever you are like whatever the real picture is that's allowed you're allowed to say that so I thought I'm not a mental health advocate because I think I'm cured I'm a mental health advocate because I'm just saying talk about whatever shit you've got going on so it's really hard that battle sometimes internally to get past that and say hey I'm I feel pretty messed up right now I feel suicidal right now or I feel down right now or whatever you feel like that's so that's so difficult but I I think that's important like again it's my perception of what you're doing is that you're not a person that's saying I'm there I'm cured I have all the answers as with what I do I don't the same as well it's 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 saying life's fucking difficult sometimes but we can talk about that we can share it we don't need to repress it and like I'm not I don't have all the answers, but I have, I'm working through it and I'm sharing the journey. I mean, I feel maybe that's not what you feel, but I think it possibly... No, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's not... I just think that even if what you feel is really dark, you should say it and acknowledge it. You don't have to say it to the internet. If like that, that's a big, I accept that that's a big thing to do. Yeah. But you have to say it to someone, even if you just say it to yourself, I think. You have to acknowledge all your feelings and let them in. And that is the one thing where I'd say, like, I never tell anyone what to feel or what to do, except for that. <laughs> like, yeah. like, be in touch with yourself and face your feelings. So I guess there is an element of, like, do this. There's probably a few more things I would encourage people to do, but... Definitely the biggest one, I think, is just, like, talking to yourself and then talking to other people. We don't have, like, the mental health resources in this country. Like, there's no... We absolutely do not have the facility to treat everybody that needs treating. I think that peer-to-peer support is a fucking valid substitute for that. I think it's so valid. I feel much better every time I connect with someone else about their mental health or my mental health. And I think that... It's a form of at least minimising the damage that's being done is just realising that you're not alone. I think it's just so important. You spend a lot of time on social media because that's sort of your platform. What, like, what are your views on social media in general, in term, specifically in terms of the sort of mental health sphere? I'd said that weird. Mental health sphere i think that social media is a really positive thing in my life 
that's because I'm authentically me and unapologetically me on the internet. So I'm naturally attracting people who are drawn to who I really am. I think if you... I, I see a lot of social media's negative impact, but I have, don't know if I've ever seen it where people are being real and it's negative. I think that comes from people thinking this is what I should be on social media and then therefore you're seeing what everyone else thinks they should be on social media and you're comparing that to each other. Um, I think it's mostly good. It's a tool. I think the one thing I think, you know, the comparison is something that we chat about a lot, like people in general, their own mental health, particularly the generations that aren't as active on social media as we are. Um, you know, it's a great tool for communicating and all these things, but you know, people are comparing themselves to each other and feeling inadequate. And I think that, yes, that's definitely a danger. But if you're comparing yourself to other people on social media, you're exposed to a lot more people. So you are seeing a lot more of it. But then you do, there is something you have to address within yourself there. Because your life on social media should just be a reflection of your life. If you're spe- like, there's that is not something. If you quit social media, you would automatically not compare yourself to people on the TV, etc. And we've got this like culture of um, YouTubers and bloggers and things who are um, maybe easier to compare yourself to because their lives seem more real because they're not soap characters or celebrities at the Oscars, so they're more relatable because. They're sat in their living rooms and things, but they're also a lot of the time sat in their living rooms with scripted videos or a massive audience who are funding them being able to do certain things. And, you know, it's not, again, even if someone puts out a video every single day of an hour of their life, that's one hour out of 24 that you're seeing of what they're Mm -hmm. doing. They've spent at least that amount of time just sat in their pants editing it. And I think it's like so important to remember that even when you're advocating for mental health, like, so people are seeing my highs and my lows and they're seeing my successes and my failures, but they're not seeing me sat watching Netflix for four hours, like, in my pyjamas with my dog, like, eating, I don't know, like, Cheetos or whatever I'm doing. I never eat Cheetos. I'm not American. Like, what's happening? I don't know. <laughs> you're just trying to, you're trying to break into the American market on this male Cheeto. It's good. Well, maybe you can arrange that. Maybe next week you can do a four-hour live stream of you watching Netflix. Yeah. On the sofa. But, but yeah. why? I mean, then, but then that's just Gogglebox, isn't it? Have you heard of that TV? Have you yeah, still I seen got, it? I got introduced to it last, very recently by, by someone. And I also got introduced to... Geordie Shaw. Oh, I'm not. And it was. I know what that is. But I, I had heard of it. I'd never watched it, and it was like pretty much everything I don't like about television and the worst parts of humanity put into a television program. I think, <laughs> but maybe that's very judgmental. I apologise to all the people that love Geordie Shaw. Yeah, Jersey Shaw's the American one, isn't it? Yeah. It is. uh, yeah. But anyway. Um, but but <laughs> the point <laughs> is that people don't see my mundane. Yeah. Because what kind of content creator would I be if I, like, if we just sat here now watching TV on our headphones because we wouldn't have the copyright to share the TV audio 
and just every now and then said like pass pass that biscuit or whatever like no why would people people don't need to see that but just because you're not seeing me do that doesn't mean I'm not doing it and just because you don't see people on social media or on the internet in general do that doesn't mean that the 90% of their life isn't boring as fuck like it is and that's just what life can be and yeah. I think I I don't think social mo- media is the root cause of that I don't think that's the cause of the problem I think the problem is I think the problem on social media has been caused by a transition uh, a transition a narrative that's already been put in place for us by mainstream media and I think the switch to social media is such a positive one because anybody with an internet connection and any kind of device now has a platform to speak and I think that's really really good um because it's kind of taking the power away from the media but I think that influencers like you know influence I'm doing the air quotes like influencers like you can, you're going to get influencers in all different niches and some of them are going to be just as bad as mainstream media and some of them are going to be wonderful and like just I think that anybody that is listening who has a problem with their social media feed needs to really have a look and see who you're following and just revise it then if you if you look at someone's post and it makes you feel shit take them there's no obligation to follow anyone just get rid of them I guess it's just such a complex thing because we talked about this earlier like social media just sort of landed out of nowhere and no one knows really what it is or how to use it like or what the I mean in terms of like what the long-term effects or how it's going to evolve and like young people can't look to like elders for advice because elders have no idea what social media is and it's just this sort of like it's this thing that we don't really know about and so there's like so often it's painted as a complete completely negative thing like like a damaging thing especially on mental health but like I guess it's as with everything there's a like there's a healthy balance and I guess it's probably about finding your own space within that and what makes you comfortable and yeah I see that like what you're talking about as like that it's an it sort of exacerbates an external situation anyway if you're feeling insecure and then you go on twitter and hope that and and expect like to have that whole feels it's probably not going to work no you have to find that yourself definitely like but like any it's a tool to I would say that if it is primarily a tool to network and find people who have common interests with you. Yeah. And if you see it as that and not, it shouldn't, I don't think it should be relied upon as your way to keep in touch with friends because I think once you've reduced your friendship to just seeing each other's Facebook status updates, you might as well just call it quits anyway, honestly, like unless you're going to actually engage like, I try to minimise the people I have in my social media who I wouldn't be interested in chatting with. If I'm just scrolling through, yeah. this is just my view. I appreciate everyone is different. But if I'm getting my updates on my ex-colleagues' life and engagement through Facebook, but I'm not going to congratulate or reach out, then what's the point? What, why am I kidding myself that that's still a real connect, connection? Yeah. So for me, it's definitely about finding other people who are interested in mental health. Um, that's 
that's one thing, but I find people who are interested in Harry Potter, which you know I'm into. Um, Let me I just explain, I'm sitting in your living room and you have a massive Christmas tree with so much Harry Potter memorabilia underneath it. Yeah, and it's mostly just stuff I own and not actual Christmas decorations that I've just shoved on a tree. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and finding people who also are into art, because I love painting, and finding people who are into... You know, I'm into, so sometimes I will just see a tweet that resonates with me and I'll follow that person, they'll follow me back and we have each other's content. But people that have got stuff to say that I'm interested in hearing basically is what I use Twitter for. And I think it's a really powerful networking tool. But if you were 13, 14, and you just follow all the people that you know at school, which I think is what it might might be becoming for young people, then I think that, that is a little bit... I can understand how that becomes overwhelming because it's so easy to become focused on whether, like, you have how many followers you have and stuff, like, young people. But I also think it can still be a really informative, like, supportive tool for young people. They shouldn't be using it younger than 13. I accept that so many people lie. But they're not supposed to be on any of these social networks until they're 13. Um... And I know that Molly, um, who is the assistant psychologist on my podcast, she talks all the time about how she finds that she was expecting social media to be really negative when she started working with young people in their mental on their mental health, and um, she was really surprised when she found out that for most of them, it was actually like a, particularly to her was like a resource of support with their mental health because there's so many like amazing people out there. Most people in the world are nice. I firmly believe that. If not all people in the world are nice on some level. And most people that you come into contact, if you move in circles of people with things in common with you, will be similar to you. So I think you can find those communities. No, I, I think that. I think um, social media is a big... I mean, I have a complex relationship with it. If we talked about it already, but I, 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 I think it's uh, it, it has so many benefits. It's definitely helped me on this journey connect with a lot of people that I wouldn't have been able to connect with in other ways and, and share stuff. And I think, yeah, and I, I think that sort of that that understanding of like flipping sort of the, the world view to, towards like actually most people are in essence quite kind and quite willing to help and quite willing to sort of be supportive that's important to remember I think it's easy to slip into this idea that humanity's base instinct is conflict and to sort of like spread hate and and, and maybe it is in a mob but it's not in a individual an individual basis and if you can get a, a group of individuals together they don't necessarily have to form an angry mob they can they can form a sort of i don't know sort of a, a like movement a of peace loveliness and love. yeah. But like, yeah like and I, I mean i strongly believe that whether that's delusional i don't know but i'm gonna i'm happy to stick with my belief during this conversation just now it's just occurred to me that if social media didn't exist i think i'd be dead yeah because all of this expression around my recovery has come, you know, 
the blog and the podcast where I express myself most openly, but they wouldn't really exist. They are kind of a form of social media in themselves. Um, and they certainly, nobody would find the things <laughs> unless you had social media. Um, and I'm just thinking about all the times when, particularly last year in my most like heavy recovery year where, you know, everything was very turbulent and I'm just thinking about every single time someone has reached in when I didn't even know I needed to reach out and just sent me like a message saying you know hey I've seen you're struggling I hope you're okay or something like that those conversations I've had those conversations in real life because the Twitter community in particular has nurtured that environment for me on my in my digital life like it's weird saying digital life they're still real people right behind the screens so yeah. it it's I still count it as real life but that community I found on social media has actually like I know on some level that what I'm doing is helping other people but I think that when people are thanking me I find it weird because I they've also saved my life and gave me a lot of meaning and a purpose and been there in in times where if you think I've been waiting for over two years for therapy based on post-traumatic stress disorder like who would I have turned to realistically had I not had that like I've learned to communicate with my best friend and housemate Sarah because I learned to communicate with other people going through similar things to me if I'd not had them would I ever have been able to like constructively express myself to Sarah or to my dad or anyone or would I have just been butting heads with them thinking you don't understand me you've not gone through what I've gone through so like yeah having other people who've gone through it who've maybe you know given me phrases and stuff that I can use would I have got to where I am alive even let alone be at the stage I'm at probably not Honestly, probably not. And that's really, like, shocking. It's weird. It's such a weird thing to say. No, it's all right. I think it's a really powerful realisation. Oh, thank you, Annalie, for... Well, for so many things. Thank you, Annalie, for being Annalie. Thank you, Annalie, for the work that you do. I think she reaches so many people through her platform and helps people through really dark and difficult times and I think it can be hard on the internet sometimes and to find those people and Annalie is certainly one of those beacons of light on Twitter that do really help people Um, so please yeah do go and check out her Twitter account which is at Piglettish and you can also look at her website which is piglettish.com and that has uh, links to that has her blog and links to all the other stuff that she does, um, and obviously the podcast. Uh, listen to the Piglish podcast. She has some amazing guests on there talking about all different aspects of mental health and life. And uh, yeah, it's, it's it's just really interesting. So yeah, look at that, and I'll put links down to all this stuff at the bottom, by the way. And yeah, thank you so much, and thank you, Annalie, for hosting me in Cardiff and showing me around. It was really lovely. Um, right 
yes as i said so if you'd like to um find out more about my journey with the ministry of change then please go to my website which is the ministry of change.org uh if you want to help me bump up my twitter followers and be one of those followers then my twitter hashtag i think is ministry underscore change or something like that and then as i said at the beginning i am trying to fund this project through patreon um i don't get paid a salary to do my mental health advocacy work to do my uh to create these spaces to talk about mental health so anything that if you can contribute that is wonderful my patreon page is patreon.com forward slash ministry of change and um yeah anything that you can offer a couple of dollars in american dollars by the way a couple of dollars a month really really helps me uh, and you'll get access to some, some extra content and i'm gradually over the year building up more into that in terms of perks and things like that so that's really good but obviously if you're not in a financial position to do that there is no obligation at all and just listening is the main thing i would really like it if you could go over to um wherever you listen to your podcast and rate and review it that really really does help me i'd love a few more reviews it'd be really nice so i can get some feedback of um sort of how you're enjoying this or hating it (laughs) whatever um but yes please but anyway thank you so much for joining me in this space uh it's been really good i love doing it and i will be back soon with another episode of the ministry of change podcast Goodbye.